This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Bohinan! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. DPR could do with a bit of magic from him. Maybe this is it. It is! Andy Sinton from nothing. Brian Roy has headed for his interlead. Whelan. Oh, what a goal from Noel Whelan. No power on it whatsoever. But Saibi has made a horrendous error. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Only oh, Hassan. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. And joining me, as always, is Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And here's a man who loves George Graham so much, he insists the three of us tie a rope around our waist to record this podcast. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Now, this is a very special uh, one-off episode of Quickly Kevin. In association with the NHS, we'll be joined by the England and Arsenal legend, Tony Adams, to talk not only about his amazing career, but also his work beyond the game as the founder of the Sporting Chance Charity. We're proud to be working with Tony and the NHS on something that we believe strongly in, raising awareness on mental health and the support available. We want to let listeners know that for those who feel they might need it, help is out there. NHS mental health services are free, effective and a confidential way to treat common mental health issues. Help can be offered in a number of ways, including in person, by video consultation, over the phone or as an online course. So before we talk to Tony, we just want to let you know that if you need help with your mental health, you can refer yourself or if you'd rather, a GP is always around to refer you. Go to nhs.uk forward slash help for more information. Now, let's meet the man himself. Our guest this week towers over 90s football and beyond. A one-club man, he played over 500 league games for Arsenal, winning everything there is to win in English football across three decades. With England, he won 66 caps and played at four international tournaments, including his role as captain at our beloved Euro 96. Noted as one of the first footballers to publicly reveal his mental health struggles, he is consistently voted by Arsenal fans as one of their best ever players. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, our first guest to have been immortalised in statue form, Tony Adams. Brilliant. That weren't bad. That weren't bad. Is it weird having your own statue? It is when it's got uh, 1983 till 2002. It's like I've died, you know what I mean? I'm still all right, guys. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm still here, you know, and I'm still getting on with stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud, very proud to... Uh, um, yeah, we always do... I do a bit of a Tony tours with the family 
uh, and guests when we when we go over there, and we always end up with the statue. We're all giving it the pose and stuff. It's uh, it's part of the Tony tour. <laughs> I would love to walk around the corner at the Emirates and see you posing next to your own statue. That would be. <laughs> it's a bit surreal, Josh. The fans look at me and go, "Is that Rick? What's happening here?" They they look at me. They, uh, <laughs> AFC, uh, AFTV were doing a kind of filming thing, and I've crept behind them and stood up on the statue like this. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go back to 1980. You joined Arsenal as a schoolboy when you were 14. We're always obsessed on this show with how much better were you than all the other kids at school at football? (laughs) Um, I think technically there was a lot of uh, good players around that age when I was about 13. Yes, in 1979, I joined the Arsenal. Okay, I, I, on that schoolboy thing, were you a centre back? Were you yeah, yeah, always centre? Yeah, was first experience is watching my dad over Hackney Marshes, Josh, just going, oh, wow, what a man, this man. You know, he was six foot three, could head the ball so he reckons better than me. <laughs> and uh, he, he was just like, wow, he's my idol, my God. You know, I just looked at him and went, I, I want to play centre half and I want to be, I want to play it, I want to do it. And then when you get to oh, wow. 13 and 14, you know, I think I wanted it more than most people, Josh. You know, I, I really did. I couldn't kick it with my left foot, getting back to the statue, shall we? But getting back to the statue, I couldn't kick it with my left foot. And then 25 years of practice, and I smashed one in with my left foot and wheel off, and, and there's a statue. And they made a statue about it. That I couldn't kick the ball with. There's an education in practice for you. That, for me, one of the most iconic moments of 90s football is that goal against Everton. Um, and do you know what? I'm just going to skip to that because you've brought it up. Because Alex Brooker, who I do the last leg with, is a huge Arsenal fan. I said, what do you want to ask Tony Adams? And he mm. said, when you scored the goal, that iconic celebration, did you do that because you just wanted to soak it all up? Or was it because you didn't think you were going to score, so you had no idea what to do as a celebration? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, what, what was I doing? We were three up at the time, you know. <laughs> I, think, I yeah. think I got a bit of license and carried away with myself. Uh, it, there's a few things here, Josh. I had 18 months clean and sober, um, not having yeah. a drink for 18 months. I was, I was flying. I was on fire, you know, mentally and emotionally. I'd come to, I'd opened up you know, as a human being, and I I didn't have the demons anymore in my head. And, you know, I was comfortable in my own skin and I was loving playing football again. And I got six years playing clean and sober. And and that was a kind of catalyst, really, getting to that moment and coming back and playing the game that I love and then smashing it in to win the league, you know. And I just, for me, it was a very spiritual moment, Josh, you know. Yeah, that comes across, actually. There's a guy that I used to play with, Kenny Sampson. He was the previous skipper to me. And he used to play left back on the side of me. Great player, 86 caps for England. And he always, in training, used to shove it to me inside because I used to play left side centre back with him. He, he, He shoved it into me and he went, stick me in, skip, stick me in. And he used to go and make that run. And, he, and I used to just chip him in and he used to do the overlap and stuff. A bit of Roberto Carlos kind of esque, <laughs> yeah. you know. But <laughs> so I've always had that in part in, ingrained in me, somewhere deep in my psyche. At some stage, I want to do this. You know, it just happened to be <laughs> into my last game of the season. I actually scored the first goal as well, Josh. They, oh, they put it you? down as a Slavon Slav Bilic on goal. 
It wasn't. If you look at it now, I, I want to claim it because that would make it 50 <laughs> goals for the Arsenal. But at the time, I just thought, oh, don't worry, we're all concentrating about the goal up the other end, Josh, and me stacking it. <laughs> anyway, I, I got it and, and Boldy got it midfield. My other central defender, he's playing midfield. They brought mm. him on last five, ten minutes. And uh, I just went, Chief, stick us in. And he stuck us in. <laughs> Fantastic ball over the defence. A run through. Just swung my leg, Josh. You know, it could, like oh, I said, I couldn't get it my left foot. And, it, and I wheeled off. And all that emotion, you know, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful, explosive, spiritual kind of release. And I wheeled off to the crowd and the sun happened to shine in my face just past the North Bank. And I just was like, I was home. It was just a beautiful moment. Now bold. And now it's a statue, the highlight of the Tony tour. I think someone upstairs wanted me to get clean and sober, to get my career back and to score that goal. Just to yeah. show, you know, I don't get a statue if I stay mentally ill. You know, I don't yeah. I end up dead to be completely honest with you, everywhere it took me at the end of my, at the end of my drinking. Because I don't go in for the old lost your mojo stuff. You know, I don't, I don't go yeah. in for all that because I became a better human being and, and fulfilled my potential as a, as a player and fulfilled my potential as a human being. So in the words of other people, because I've got to watch the ego here. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Rudder, because I'm, I'm a very humble human being, guys. Um, I think it's difficult to be when there's a statue. You know, that's fair enough. If there's a statue, you it's difficult to stay humble. Great, great friend of mine says to me, "No one likes a shy legend," and I said, "But they do like a humble one." And I, yeah. and I kind of stick to that, to be honest with you. And uh, yeah, very proud. So let's go back. Let's lead up the 18 years to that moment. How did you end up signing for Arsenal? What, how does that work in those days? Were you just really good around London and everyone's talking about Tony Adams, the 13, 14-year-old? Yeah, and then England schoolboys. And, and, you know, once you're at that level and, and having trials, you're more like I was invited up at uh, Old, Old Trafford and with the other North London team that we don't speak about down the road. Um, I went <laughs> training there once. And my local team, West Ham, because a family come out the East End and down in the Dagenham, went to school in Dagenham. I had my choice, is what I'm telling you. I had my choice. And just at that yeah. period, it's happened twice in the history of football. The class of 92, the Man United guys, uh, six of them mm. in their youth team, and the class of 82, 83 with us, the Arsenal. You know, I came through with Dave Rokas and Michael Thomas, Noel Quinn, Paul Merson, uh, Martin Keogh, wow. and myself. Six of us, six internationals in the youth team. Wow. And that was the basis of 89 and 91 for me, you know, that, that yeah. group of guys. We only used 17 players to win the league in 89. So I, I found it very intense, the training, good quality. I went first there, uh, the, the scout was his first day in the job. Said a local scout to me, uh, he was looking at me over the, over the park down in the east end of London and kind of went... Go go at Arsenal on a Monday night. So I was going straight from school. I shot there with my dad. Walked in and uh, Tommy Coleman, who was a youth team coach, he's passed away now. Tommy Coleman was a youth team coach. He said, what's happened? He said, oh, I said, Steve, Steve Rowley sent me, the chief scout. 
And he said, I don't know any Steve Rowley because he's first down his job. So, so he said, I don't know. So me and my dad went, OK, let's go. Let's, let's off ski. We, we won't go where we were not wanted. So we turned around and we're walking out the marble hall at Highbury, walking out the doors. And he said, oh, why are you here? Why don't you have a kick about? <laughs> that <laughs> close. Why don't you have a try? You know, why don't you have a kick about with us? And I went there and it was so brilliant, but it came that close for me not having the career that I had at Arsenal. It was literally that close that to goal. being a Tottenham legend. Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, so, Josh, Josh. <laughs> That, that statue outside of White Hart Lane could have been yours, Tony. Oh, I don't need this abuse. <laughs> in this amazing youth team, Michael Thomas, Dave Rowcastle, uh, Keon Quinn, yeah, Merson, yeah. and um, you break into the first team a few weeks after turning 17. So you must have been even incredible at that youth level. What's it like? You're a 17-year-old, you can't legally drink or vote or any of these things, but you are playing mm. Division One football. What's that like as experience? Is it intimidating? Are you, you're pretty fearless as a person, right? Yeah, I think it was the only place I was comfortable, Josh. You know, off the pitch was a different story. Mm. I felt shy, insecure. I, I felt ugly. I was full of fear. So no wonder I run to the football pitch because on the football pitch, I was fearless. I was, I was confident. I was, and, you know, I used to walk into the, to the first team dressing room. You know, I wasn't allowed in the, in the first team dressing room because I was with the youth team. So we were in the away team dressing room when we used to get changed for training every morning. So I would go over and I'd go into these experienced professional. Pat Jennings played 122 times for Northern Ireland. Dave O'Leary, you know, 722 games for the Arsenal. And go in and go, all right, son, how you doing, guys? All right, yeah. <laughs> you know, cocky, confident. Come on, let's go and do yeah. it. I've been captain throughout my life, you know, with all my school teams, all my, my district teams, my county. You know, I was very confident and I knew my job. And if I didn't have the talent to back it up, Josh, I think they would have just dismissed it. But because I was so... Mm. I suppose good as well that they kind of went, hold on, this guy's all right, you know, and yeah. I was particularly fearless. And then that point was very mixed dressing room. We had some old experienced players that maybe, you know, wasn't team players. They were very selfish. There was a, yeah, a, a dysfunctional kind of dressing room at that point. And they got all these kids bursting through, you know, and George Graham must have thought it was his dream come true, the manager. He's got all these international, budding mm. internationals. So what he did, George, he got rid of all the old boys, really, all the ones that weren't pulling their weight, just picking up the money and stuff. And he went, these kids want it. And we just railroaded it. We just run and uh, always remember Martin Keown, same ones. We had a player called Charles. Champagne Charlie came down and Charlie Nicholas come down. We signed him, big star from Celtic. And uh, in training, Martin Keown went up to the coach and said, is it all right if I kick him? <laughs> and, uh, and the coach said, yeah, yeah, get on with it, do it. But he didn't have really a choice because Martin was going to kick him all day long, you know. <laughs> Charlie's like, well, we can't do that, can't do that. But we didn't give it. We didn't give a hoot, mate. We were, we were, we were kind of doggy dog. We're gonna. We, we was like very, very driven, very competitive, very, very. I was a bit of a bully, to be honest with you, Josh. I changed with my, with my mental health conditions. As soon as I got to know me and my human condition, then I changed my behaviour and I started using different ways. But in that early days, I was a, you know, my way or the highway. You know, Josh, we're playing today and you're doing your job, son, and you're doing it now, you know. I was a bully, which was 
not particularly great for your mental health, to be honest yeah. with you, but it does get success at a cost. What, what did the older players in the dressing room make of this 17-year-old coming in and acting the bully? That like that could made, must have made for a quite a tense dressing room. I don't think they had a choice. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, was drawn, I was drawn towards, should we say, the dark side as well. You know, there was a, a culture, drinking culture in those days and uh, I was going to say I got dragged to the pub and the bookies, but I didn't need much dragging, you know. So because of my insecurities off the pitch, it was kind of made for me to be in that dark environment as well, you know. So it, it attracted me, that side of me. But to answer, answer your question, really, I, I didn't really care because I was confident and I wanted to win and I wanted to get success. You know, it made me feel good. It made me feel good, and I like feeling good because I didn't off the pitch, to be completely honest with you. So I was just kind of, this is good. Everyone's patting me on my back, saying, oh, you're great. So the ego was going up and up and up, but all the time the self-esteem's going down and down and down because but I was getting recognition from what I was doing and not who I was. So there's a massive difference there. And I think a lot of players struggle after they retire because all they've ever known, they've got their identity through what they do and not who they are. See, I'm good enough today, whether I've got football or not. Was there any discussion of the topic of mental health in at the time? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll take that yeah. as a no. <laughs> It was it was viewed as a weakness, mate. You know, any sign of, of vulnerability was was a weakness. I know it's a strength today, you know, and I, mm. I've got a, uh, lots of safe places where I, I share my vulnerability, and and it and it, it is a strength. It makes me much stronger as a person, a human being, and it don't manipulate the way that I I think and feel anymore. You know, so uh, but in those days, Josh, no, it's uh, it, it wasn't done. You know, it it, it wasn't done because it, it's a very competitive industry, and if mm. you show weakness someone else is ready to take your place if you're not doing your job for the life of me you couldn't go into a dressing room and say look i'm not sure something's going on today you know mentally i'm a i'm a bit i, I don't know what's going on but i'm just not right <laughs> you yeah. said that to a coach you'd be out, you'd be out of a job mate <laughs> <laughs> you know no wonder we concealed it all yeah we concealed yeah. it all we up, you know, we drive it all down. I was taught at a very early age how to suppress my thoughts and feelings. You know, I had panic attacks at an early age at school. You know, I when the books going round, and uh, you never believe it now. I couldn't open my mouth for twenty years, Josh, and now I can't shut up. Mate, but... <laughs> over my mouth you know it all went inside and there's a booklet and reading lesson and I said wheelie instead of really and everyone laughed at me and yeah. not with me and I was so sensitive to all that stuff so I ran to the football pitch I legged it because I was good at that and everyone oh he's football he's footballer I had the worst attendance at my school you know I'm not proud of that it's just I couldn't get through the front door the fear was too much you know, so if I had expressed those kind of inner weaknesses in the in the workplace, I, I I don't think I'd have a job. Luckily, I was I was a fairly decent footballer because I I do believe the way that I was acting off the pitch. If I wasn't, I'd have been sacked and I've been out of a job. You know, yeah. completely out of a job. It's only because I had a certain amount of talent anyway. Tell you what, I found interesting, Tony. You say you had like panic attacks at school and stuff because of, and did that carry on into football because obviously that's a high stress environment were you experiencing anxiety or depression when you were in the dressing room or was that your kind of a place where that didn't happen well you know football worked for me 
He gave me everything. He suppressed those forces of feelings as well. It's my first drug of choice, you know. Football mm. did everything that booze did for me later on. I went to see my therapist at my end of my drinking, and I sat down with him and I said, "Look, I know I had to get, I know I had to get shit faced, and I know I had to play football, but I don't know who I am." You know, and yeah. I, I, he always reminds me of that moment because that's all I had in my life. And that's why I didn't get clinically depressed until I was into sobriety and I put all this, all the kind of crutches down is in effect, the right, football down and, see, yeah. and, 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 the, and the alcohol down and then all the thoughts and feelings come back. And I felt like an emotional child, really. You know, I was about 17 years of age and all these feelings come up and, I, and I've had to grow up quickly and, and learn ways to deal with that stuff. And the, and the most important thing that saved my life was opening my mouth. Yeah. Opening my mouth and telling people where I feel, Josh, oh, you know. So I'm not, you know, it's not good for me today. Yeah. Always remember it, vice president of the, uh, um, of the club, Arsenal Football Club, and I'm 18 months clean and sober. Yeah. So I've got a bit about me now, you know, off the pitch. You know, I'm learning some tools and I'm, I'm addressing my thoughts and feelings and the fear and the emotions and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And I go, I can sign a new contract, these new contract negotiation time. So I think I can do that now. You know, I'm going to go in there and I've got a bit of self-esteem now, you know, because to get self-esteem, you have to do esteemable stuff. So I, I did, went in there and I'm negotiating with him, got myself a best ever contract ever. It was a very good contract. I'm worth it. Walked out of the room. On the Saturday, I've gone, he's come into the dressing room and, he, and I'm getting massaged before the game, Josh. And he turns around to me and he said, oh, good luck today. How are you feeling? And, I, and I, with honesty, I went... Well, actually, Mr. Dean, I'm not that great today. And he went, oh, we just gave you a massive contract. What's going on? <laughs> I learned also there's times where you've got to go and get on with your job. <laughs> and would you, when you were opening up like this in the dressing room, Obviously, the dressing room's changing. There's the influx of Wenger's signings, like foreign players and stuff, and the whole mm. culture of the football dressing room's changing a bit. By this point, was it feeling easier to open up to players in the dressing room? Or well, are there other players you think that were going through similar things when you were a footballer? Yeah, that's why, that's why I started my charity, to be honest with you, because it, mm. there was, I was a trailblazer, to be honest with you, Josh. There was nothing out there, you know. Um, one guy phoned me up and said, Tone, I'm, I'm, I've got to go back and play for my club at the weekends, and I've been sitting here for a month. I'm so unfit, and a light bulb moment come up, and uh, I thought well, I might have to do something about that. But, you know, I, it was perfect timing for me, Josh Arson. You know, it's just wonderful, wonderful spiritual man. Uh, I was six weeks clean and sober when he worked, walked in, to the club, you know, it's, I know it's a bit corny, but when the when the pupil's ready, the teacher appears. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. he learned a lot. His mum and dad used to run a pub in Strasbourg. Did you they? know, what better than that? And he understood how alcohol affected people. It changed people, and he could see that. Every morning, I used to take my cup of tea and go into his office, and we'd just chew you know, talk about politics and life and this and religion and everything we just kind of chewed the fat it was oh, wow. just so beautiful six years i had the guy you yeah. know and i created and he created a open and honest environment of communication josh yeah you know we were we, there was players from all over the world at this point you know coming in different cultures different backgrounds and i i think i i developed and i'll give you one example and i've got to be careful because right he sometimes gets the up with me because it's about Ian and um, the training time was 10 o'clock in the morning 
And uh, occasionally, sometimes, this is the bit, sometimes it was a bit late. It was a bit late. So the old Tony, maybe, the suppressed, angry human being before I gave up the boots, might have gone, Oi, righty, get yourself in on time, come on! And I went to Arson. I said, Arson, you know, what, what, what should we do about this? So I admitted, I suppose, that I didn't know everything <laughs> by asking the boss. You know, usually it's kind of, I just deal with it. So, so I've admitted to, you know, the, the boss, you know, actually, I'm not too sure how to deal with this situation. You know, what, what, what do you think? And he said, oh, oh, we put training time back. Sorry, that's my very bad arson <laughs> thing. So we, we changed the time to 11 o'clock, then allowing Ian to get in on time. And I was like, wow, this is kind of revolutionary. It seems so simple now. You know, I was kind of angry because all the lads want to get off and get off the train and we all want to get home to our families and stuff. And that will delay it. But I kind of went, he said, we need Ian, don't we? We need him. We need him. So it's better for the whole team if he's on time and training with us. And we went, yeah. And we won the double that year, you know, and we <laughs> needed writing. We scored goals for us. You know, it's so simple. It's so healthy. Yeah. You know, it was really a, a kind of talking to each other, working it all out. So we had a safe environment where we all could share our stuff. There was no pinning up in the showers anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I listened to Arsene Wenger's Desert Island Discs a couple of days ago. And in that, he was asked about changing the culture at Arsenal. And actually, he said it was easy to do because we had Tony Adams. And he said it was easy to cut out like the, the, the drink and create a more positive kind of workplace from a mental health perspective, because he could say, we need to do this for Tony. Were you aware of that at all? I think it was a lovely, balanced, positive relationship. You know, it, like I said to you earlier, I think when the teacher's, you know, when the pupil's ready, the teacher appears. And, and, and because I changed, you know, for instance, it's about timing, you know, I didn't report back to pre-season training in 96. I didn't, do you imagine Harry Kane not coming back from Tottenham training for three weeks? Yeah. <laughs> I went missing, yeah. you know? That couldn't be done today. People's phones. They, I was in yeah. bars and clubs and all sorts of stuff, you know, everywhere. I didn't go back to training. The physio was trying to hunt me down, trying to find me. Looking back on 89 and 91, we won the league 89 and 91. So I lifted two trophies, league titles. I didn't go to the World Cup in 1990. Now, what's all that about? You know, and at that period of my life, I was doing more damage off the pitch. I'm sure Bobby Robson, God bless his soul, kind of went, Jesus Christ, this is so risky. I'm not going to take this idiot with us. You know what I mean? I'd already experienced an 88 where I'd weed the bed and all the lads came down and took the mickey out of me in the morning. You, know, you imagine that. European Championships, 1988, got smashed out of my head, gone to bed, weed me bed. The chambermaids come in and gone pee, 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 pee. OK, so were, when I've gone down for breakfast, all the boys have stood up and gone, ah, pee, 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 pee. You know, oh public humiliation from my teammates. Yeah. And I don't blame them. It was, it was in their respect. They didn't understand no, what no, I was going course. through or, or what I was. And so it's not their issue. It's not their blame. And, and it, I suppose it was a laugh for them. But I, I really get why Bobby Robson didn't want me around. You know, but it, it's kind of in this current climate, Josh. It's, 
totally unheard of. You know, imagine Harry Kane not going to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, he's not a good example because he didn't win the league twice. <laughs> <laughs> not as good as you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that worked out perfectly, didn't it? <laughs> and how quickly did like opening up and talking? How quickly did you feel that having an effect? Was it kind of almost instantaneous or? I wanted out, Josh. You know, my bottom was... I was in such a painful place, you know, and, and I wasn't getting on the football pitch. I completely, let, you know, let Bruce Reelk down, you know. if it, Like I said, if Arsene Wenger had come in six months before, you've got a captain that's not there. He's not present. Yeah. You know, it would have been a completely maybe different ball game for Arsene. Yeah. It would have been one of conflict and, and, and you know, I completely let Bruce Reelk down, the captain, and I've said sorry to him and... You know, made it, and it just wasn't right. That timing was all wrong. You know, since Jules left in '94, I completely went off, off the off the planet. You know, and we didn't win the league. That's really interesting for me. Until I sobered up, we won the league in '91, yeah. and we didn't win the league in '98. And I think it's because the captain could get up for FA Cup games. We won the double, the cup double. You know, because I, I could do six games a year, but I couldn't do 42. <laughs> it was catching up on me, you know. It was catching up on me. You know, I was getting smashed on a Saturday night into the Sunday. All of a sudden, you know, I'm drinking Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday was off, so I got smashed on the Tuesday. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm playing snooker, eight pints of Guinness, but in my head, justification, I'm playing snooker. It's not eight pints of Guinness on the Thursday. Pretty much sobering up on the Friday, ready to play on the Saturday. And in terms of today, so it's 1996. How many years is it? 26 years since 1996, which is incredible. Also makes me feel old. I don't know about you, but like, what techniques in terms of your mental health? What techniques did you kind of learn then that you're still applying today on a day-to-day basis? I've learned how to be honest, to be open. Um, I've got love, and I say to on the talk, I've given lots of talks, Josh, as you can imagine now. <laughs> this stuff keeps me well, you know. This, this is why I keep doing yeah. this, why I'm doing it with you tonight, you know, that's why I've agreed to do this. Yeah. We're talking about mental health, we're talking, it's hallelujah, at last, we put it on the agenda. And people my age as well, Josh, are not reaching out, you know, us old idiots that are carrying stuff around with us, you know. We carry and carry and we haven't got safe places. So on the talks, I say to them, look, what is your mental and emotional support system? Who do you share with? You know, and all my times of, of the 92 football clubs that I've done and cricket clubs and businesses, and it's a handful of people have said to me, well, my family, we all sit around the dining room every evening and we talk about our stuff. I went, oh. And there's one captain of a club, I won't mention his name, but... He said to me, my wife is emotionally and mentally like a rock. I get all my stuff out with her. And I said, well, hallelujah, I've got, I'm in psychotherapy. I've been in psychotherapy for 25 years. Mm. Uh, I, he gets my stuff. He, yeah. It's safe stuff, you know. Here he goes, I dump it. I feel like a, I feel like a, a king afterwards. I walk out and go, there it's gone. So that's one tool, talking about my stuff, being open, being honest about this stuff, you know, and, and I'm able to come on here and talk to Chris and, and Josh about good mental health. It's lovely. It's great stuff, guys. Yeah. It's saving lives. There's bound to be people listening to this, men, men specifically listening to this podcast who have the sense that deep down something isn't right. So, like, in a nutshell, what would your advice be to those guys? Reach out. You've got the self-referral at the IAPT, the National Health Service. You know, you can go and speak to your GP. You know, they're pointing you in the right direction. 
You know, go and speak, go and talk about it. You know, if you haven't got the family network, if you haven't got mates, my mum always used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you you. Paul Merson always, me old mate, Paul Merson always said, if you keep on going into a hairdresser, sooner or later you're going to get a haircut. So have a look at the environment around. <laughs> never heard that. <laughs> have a look at the environment, your support network. I, it's simple for me, and I do this quite a lot, with, with, a friend of mine does it as well. Buddy up with someone. If someone's listening to this show and this podcast and, and you go, oh, I heard Tony Adams today. He was absolutely talking so much rubbish. It was unbelievable. But I don't really care about that. I want them to have the conversation about it. You know, go mm. out with a mate, have a coffee with a mate, go into a coffee shop, sit down there and say, you know what? I had that podcast the other day and they were talking about people when they're having bad days because people don't understand what mental health is. You know, what's the difference between mental health and what I had, a mental illness? You know, I was completely obsessed with alcohol. You know, I'd crossed the line. Clinically depressed I was. My doctor clinically depressed me twice, you know, in my 25 years of recovery. You know, there's there's other issues in there. You know, I had PTSD after my heart thing. Two stents put it. I nearly, 29, I didn't want to live. And at 49, I didn't want to die. And I just sobbing like a baby. I was trauma. I was sitting there full of wanting to live because I've got a wonderful life today, clear of head and loving heart, wonderful life today. I'm crying like a baby. Showers are not working. You know, the beautiful hot shower. No, no feeling. Food, gone off me taste. Completely and utterly trauma after, year after my heart procedure, I flipped out. PTSD, and I've got all them tools that you talked about. I do reach out to people for my mental health. It's uh, genuinely, it's not just fascinating, but so brilliant, I think, that you're doing this and you speak so kind of eloquently. And when your book Addicted came out in 98, it just kind of, it changed so many things. It changed the game and it changed the perception of footballers as well, I think. It changed how Mm. we perceived who footballers could be. And obviously the journey of Tony Adams from that guy, you know, you were kind of poster boy for that kind of aggressive centre back and you became this kind of guy that played the piano and stuff and it's it's an incredible journey um let's go back to the start tony on george graham there's a few cliches we've heard down the years but i just want to find out if this is true is it is the story that the back four the arsenal back four the famous back four you used to go into training and he would tie you together with a rope to practice your positioning is that true no, George used to do, uh, um, he didn't have a rope, but he, he loved doing push-ups. He, he, George, sorry, he did love himself. You know, he, he does love himself, George. <laughs> and, and, he, and what he used to do, his left hand, Josh, was Nigel Winterburn. Yeah. His left shoulder was Tony Adams. His right shoulder was Steve Bold. And his right hand was Lee Dixon. And he used to, used to go, look, look at guys, look at my chest, basically. Look at my chest. Look how strong we are. We all move like this. We're all connected. My arm, my chest, my pecs. Look how strong I am. <laughs> That's what he was really saying. We did use a rope. We used George Graham's body. <laughs> the, the hardest of all the implements. We also the mad thing we found out about George Graham recently is that he was. I can't remember which way round it was. It was Terry Venables was his best man, uh, and. They they were the wedding was in the morning and then in the afternoon Arsenal played Spurs and they played against each other. Are you aware of this? Yeah. yeah. And they're best friends, George Graham and Terry Venables. As one of the people who's played for both of them, 
Is that true that they're best buds, George Graham and Terry Venables? Yeah, absolutely. George, George nicked everything from Terry. Nicked absolutely <laughs> everything. He really did. You know, Terry, Terry's Terry's God. He's he's just a wonderful, wonderful coach. And coming from my neck of the woods as well, we really connected. Um, I was mm. a little bit afraid of George, but it's a little bit unfair on George. But they were close. And listen, we're all we're all thieves, aren't we? You know, I've learned how my mental health works mm. by looking at other people and how well yeah. they are, you know, with their self-respect and their dignity, and looking at other people. Well, how do you do it? Genius steals, Tony. That's the that's the phrase, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, he's, and he stole everything from from TV. And uh, yeah, I loved I love working uh, with with Terry. We also we talk quite regular. And um, I think one thing that we consistently talk about is the Euro and the system that he played. And he and he says to me often. Maybe we should have played a back four. Does he? He still says that. He said because all my trophies I've ever won is win that with the back four and stuff. And 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 we were so fluid and and so brilliant. Uh, he's the, the only coach that I've ever seen to do rotation. He used to do it with boxes where if you run into a box and you were in the box, you had to get out of the box, basically. So on a football pitch, you, the internet, you know, all of a sudden the right back's playing right midfield. The right midfield's got to go and play right back. So there was a fluidity oh, nice. and a connection yeah. and a rotation of positions. And we did it. We carried it on with, with Arsene Wenger, which I've never seen done before. I used to rotate with Manu Petit, who was a central defender. I used to push him in the midfield. Yeah. And, the, and the midfield player used to go and play centre-back. You know, that, that's really unheard of. And I don't see that at all today. But um, we did it. And Terry was an, a, a genius, a genius at that. George was much more rigid. I, everyone goes Arsene Wenger. You know, Arsene Wenger... We played counter-attacking football with Arsene Wenger. We were much more defensive. And then we had people like Robert Perez and uh, Thierry Henry and Dennis. that Because he's got pace, we, we, we counter-attacked. So you'd say you were more defensive under Arsene Wenger than George Graham? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. We were a full press. We were up to the halfway line and pinning teams in. We didn't let them out. Yeah. We were before full press and clock was ever invented. The George had the first front guys. Liverpool did it as well before us, you know. Uh, yeah. Dalglish and, and and Ian Rush and, and Kevin Keegan. Kevin Keegan was the best defender I've ever seen. You know, he didn't give you two minutes. You know, they see the game today where they play it from the back. They've been all over yeah. them, absolutely all yeah. over them. So George Graham for me, the ultimate press. We were right up on the on the halfway line, keeping teams in, push, 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 push. If the forwards run offside, we weren't going to go with them because I'm too old and I can't run with them. <laughs> if, they're, if they're silly going to run offside, then let them go. That's what we always used to say. And we push, 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 push. You've got to be a bit fearless to do it. But Arsene, he, he, when he came to the club, we, we had a pre-season down in Scotland. He went, Tony, we, we, we drop off now. We drop off. So we let teams come on to us. And then we counter-attack through uh, quick players. Do you think that that back four, which was Dixon, you, and then Bold, or Keown maybe, and uh, Winterburn, the best back four in the country with David Seaman behind them in 1991, you let in a tiny amount of goals. Mm. It was, do you think there was an argument that England should have just played you five as the defence? 
I think Howard Wilkinson did it once and played the lot of us. But your understanding, like, it would have been amazing to bring that to an international yeah. level, right? And I think that's the difference. That's the difference, I think, between club football and and uh, and, and country football, uh, national football. Um, so you, I, I came into the team and I patched Jennings in goal. Okay, mm. so 122 games for Northern Ireland. Um, I had Viv Anderson. He had two European trophies to his name with Nottingham Forest. Amazing right back, up and down physically. He got five goals a year as well. Incredible player. Left back, Kenny Sampson. 86 games for England. You know, we nearly put him on Maradona in 86 because his low centre of gravity was so impressive. And he was a brilliant, brilliant player. Like I say, 86 games for England. And when I finished, I ended up with Dave Seaman in goal. I had Lauren, Cameroon, African player of the year, right back, kind of right wing, up and down all day long. Left back, Ashley Cole, probably the best left back in the world at that point. Um, and Sol Campbell alongside me. So I always say Dixon, Bold, Adams and Winterburn, probably the worst back four I ever played in. <laughs> <laughs> Individually. Individually. <laughs> but as a unit... In, as a unit, we were we, we knew everything. And if you look again, get it out of the cupboard, give it out of the archives. The 1994 against Palmer of this day, they were like PSG. They bought players from all around yeah. the world, and uh, they'd still be there now. They couldn't score. You know, we were invincible. <laughs> but we were second, you know, inside, inside, inside. 85 percent of goals go inside the box the way our whole philosophy was to keep teams outside the box which you have to show inside but we knew what we were doing so I'll answer your question I think it's like actually we should have really they should have utilised us for the national team a little bit more than they did yeah. to be honest because as a unit we were we were incredible but only as good as the as the protection in front yeah but I mean yeah. you won the league in 89 Italia 90 the following year you didn't you didn't make the squad as we've kind of touched upon but mm. it's so stark that a team a back four that is so famous in the country and you don't let in any goals you're really well known for it and yet you don't get mm. to that international stage did you ever have a conversation with Bobby Robson about it why you didn't get the call up I, I didn't have the uh, um, off the field skills um, at that point the, the illness had me you know off the pitch the illness had me I've got to say, I'm an, an enormous, proud Englishman. I love Arsenal Football Club, but leading your country out at the Euros in 96, you know, blows me away to this day. You know, I was so proud, so proud of that. But in 90, before that, I'm a young, arrogant, cocky. Yeah, got a lot of skill, a lot of talent, lifting trophies, working hard. But off the pitch, I couldn't say to the manager, oh, uh, I was scared, full of fear, you know, and I would prefer, I'd prefer to go and get smashed for a week than go and play for my country. That's how much the fear was part of my life, you know, and I really? love my country and I wanted to play all yeah. day long. Just to understand that, the mentality of what, and I had a Scottish co uh, manager at the time as well. He didn't want me <laughs> going away from England. <laughs> so he would much prefer me not playing for England and resting, and my rest was going out and getting smashed for three, four day bender. You know, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave the pub on a Sunday lunchtime to meet up with the national team. I just couldn't do it. You know, and Man United came in for me at that stage as well. You know, Alex phoned me up, said uh, he got Brian Robson actually to get me at the England team and uh, England team camp. And he said to me, oh, well, um, 
I put you on uh, um, what Brian's on. I was on 75 grand a year um, and they were going to put me on 90, what Brian Robson was on. And uh, I just didn't have the tools as a human being to go and live in Manchester. I'd been all right on the pitch and with everything else, but it just frightened the life out of me. The off the field, and you're off the field quite a lot of time. You know, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'll stay with Arsenal, I'm staying with Arsenal. And then it's really interesting because in 96, when I got clean and sober, and the club was going through a bit of a transitional period, and thank God Daniel Fisman came in and, and uh, injected a bit of cash into the club, hence the 98, 2002. Two ways to recruit and to build teams, through your academy, like we did in 82, six internationals, and then with money, with recruitment, best yeah. recruitment person in the world and 50 million 50 million it was you know in 96 an incredible amount of money anyway so I, at this point the club's kind of going oh. so I I meet the, the chairman do you imagine that I meet the chairman of the club Peter Hill Wood in the boardroom and uh, he phoned me and, he, and I was going around one, one he went hello Tony oh, chairman here I went who the freaking hell is this? <laughs> and he went, no, no, it's a German. I hear the shits hit the fan back there. Rally the troops, hold the fort, be back soon. Meet me in the ballroom, Monday. I went, oh, OK, all right. So I go along to the ballroom and I kind of go, Mr Chairman, I'm, I'm really sorry, but, you know, Alex Ferguson's been on the phone again and I've got some tools now, Josh and Chris. I, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm all right with myself off the pitch. You know, I can go and live up Manchester if it needs be. And the club hadn't yeah. won the league for five years. And I'm thinking, well, actually, you know, and I said to the chairman, I said, chairman, what, what's the ambition of the club? Do we actually want to win something here or what, what's the situation? And he said, no, 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 no. We, 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 we've got an injection of money. We've got Mr. Wenger coming in from, from a Japanese club and he's brilliant and it's going to be fine. You have to stay here, Tony. Can you imagine that? The club captain him in a direct line to the owner, owner of the club. It's just kind of unheard of. Because the club was like that. We all had good line yeah. managers and Arsene came in and, and I stayed and, and the rest is history. And Mr. Ferguson, I waved goodbye. I always said that he says about me that I was a, um, a Man United player in the wrong shirt and I always remember I said you're an Arsenal manager in the wrong blazer <laughs> now so it, in 1989 which is possibly the most iconic moment in history of Arsenal but Arsenal it, as we know it goes down to the last game of the season you're going to Anfield you need to win 2-0 Liverpool have been incredible for 10 20 years almost you no one's going to win 2-0 at Anfield, etc., etc. What do you remember of that day? Did you genuinely believe it was going to happen? Yeah, I, we went up on in and out job. You know, Jules didn't want us thinking about it too much. We'd actually thought that we might have thrown it away, but I can honestly say, Josh, I was very confident. And, we, you know, George called it. Really? And the team talked beforehand. He said, keep the clean sheet to... to and it was the only time we played three at the back as well. We played three, three at the back there and Man United. And we drew 1-1 to Man United. So we played three at the back. He just said, keep it clean to half-time. And we did. And then we loosened up a little bit. He took off for, um, he took off Baldy and, uh, and and went into a back four and we made a little bit of pressure and we got the second goal. But he, he nailed it in the team talk before the game. And we were... I was. You talked to the other lads. Maybe they weren't. But I was so confident. And George always said he thought it might have been 3-0, really. <laughs> he was saying that maybe... 
<laughs> always says that. So yeah, just me. We went up in the day of the game, did it in and out. We've done it on occasions. George like the old men- siege mentality. Army, get the job done. Get in, get out. So I was very confident um, that we do that. And I've been used to it. You know, call it the arrogance of youth, really. You know, Rocky, Mickey, we were all kind of kids that used to winning, mate. You know, we, we were like every day of the week. We won the FA, you know, floodlit cup and the reserve league coming through the through the ranks and won for our schools and our counties. We've been used to lifting trophies at an early age, mate. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. another, another 22, one. 22 years of age lifting the there you go. Job done. <laughs> I think in a way, if Arsenal are to lose the championship, having had such a lead at one time, it's somewhat poetic justice that they have got the result on the last day, even though they're not to win it. They would see that as small consolation, I would think, David, but you can see we're now well into time added on. Just a few seconds away now for Kenny Dalglish. Unless Arsenal can mount something absolutely spectacular in the few seconds that remain. Nichols in there, Barnes is in there. Adams has stopped him. Barnes has beaten Adams. Aldridge is waiting at the far side. Adams is after his man, but Barnes will not be denied. Yes, he will, by Richardson, moment ago, down and injured. Arsenal comes streaming forward now in surely what will be their last attack. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith. But Thomas charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, right at the end. An unbelievable climax to the league season. Well into injury time, the Liverpool players are down absolutely abject. Aldridge is down, Barnes is down, Dalgleish just stands there. Nichols on his knees, McMahon's on his knees. Suddenly it was Michael Thomas bursting through. The bounce fell his way. He flips it wide of Grobelar. And we have the most dramatic finish maybe in the history of the Football League. Had you lost faith? On the 89th minute and the 90th minute, did you still believe this is going to happen? I was running around like an idiot. I remember running around like an idiot. I, I was chasing Barnes and I fell over my own legs, I think. And luckily we had Mickey that was... With, actually, Kevin Richardson cleared up and gave it back in the days when you could pass it back to the goalkeeper. And God knows why Lukey threw it out and didn't hoof it up the park. You know, he's thrown it to Lee Dixon, who's knocked it down the middle and uh, put Michael through with and the rest is history. But I, I was just kind of trying too hard, you know. And it's really interesting, I think. I learned a lot from that, how not to play, <laughs> actually. And just to do it <laughs> calm, because I was a very different player in 2002, you know. Because I always remember, I think, Marseille Desailly, my last game for the Arsenal, when we won the double uh, 2002, and my last game was against Chelsea at the Millennium. And I always remember, he was phenomenal, Marcel Desailly. He, he, was, he, he was trying to do everything, you know. He got man of the match, I think. And I, I passed him and congratulated him. And then I went and lift up the trophy. He just told me, you know, just to do your job, you know, just do yeah. your bit and have confidence in your mates around you. Because he, like I was, I was just running around like an idiot. 
I'd run around like an idiot. Just do your job. Keep calm. Do your best you can do. Do your right. And I, and I spoke about to the, I spoke to John Terry actually after the game. I wish I hadn't because he he's done quite well after that. He did. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the goal going in? Like, do you remember the that moment of yeah. celebration? And- yeah. It's the only time emotionally I, I it was knocked off my knees. Really, you just fell to the ground. Yeah, I fell to the ground. I'd never done that before in my life. When it went through, I just I just kind of fell on the floor. It was just whoa. I didn't realise that the emotions could hit you like that. I do I do now. Actually, I went oh, Jesus, you know. And then then again at the final whistle, it was just. Oh, happy days, Josh. Happy days. Happy days. <laughs> and you've seen the film, obviously, 89, which is like a brilliant kind of... Um, really paints a great picture of it. And there's that kind of iconic bit in it where the players just turn up in a pub back in London. We spoke to Lee Dixon about this, but he said he'd driven to Liverpool. And were you one of the players that turned up at that pub? No, no, no. I took the team bus. We went straight to Winners in Southgate, straight to a snooker club, pulled up. Yeah. And, uh, we was getting it organised on the way down there, mate. You know? <laughs> and and, the, and you, the fans got wind of it and uh, they couldn't believe it when we turned up. We were part of the fans as well. We were socialising with them as well. You know, they were, they were, we were the boys off the streets, you know, and me, Rocky and, and uh, Michael and Merce, you know, we, we, we just, Quinny and, you know, we were just kind of, part of them and they were part of us and it was just we were the ones that were running around on the pitch and they were the ones in the stadium but at the end of the day we, we were just the same and I think that reflected in them and they felt they could empathise I think it was and, and they could relate to yeah. what had happened and and uh, yeah it's just a, a, an amazing amazing moment that year you also won the FA the Football League Centenary Trophy what was that? <laughs> I googled this I was like what the hell is this? <laughs> Do you remember this? Because I've played at Wembley more than any other person. Is that right? Bill Shilton's got 58 and i got 59. And one of it is because of that tournament. They run a little tournament. <laughs> and we, we were there every week. And, and don't forget, at Highbury, we went there and played Champions League there because we could get more people oh, yeah. uh, in uh, Wembley. So I think I played there something like... Uh, um, I'm going to say 35 times for my country and about 24 for my for my club. About 24 games for the Arsenal at Wembley. And the Centenary Cup was part of that. I think we lost to Liverpool, if I do remember. Well, I think we came back off the beach because we went Miami. I think George Graham was just getting divorced. And uh, I think he had a new girlfriend out in Miami. So he took the team with him. So. <laughs> You've got you've got so much history with the old Wembley. Not only most games played there, but you also scored the last ever goal at the old Wembley. Did you love the old Wembley? I it became my home. I was very scared of it at the start. Uh, Eighty seven was my first trophy there, which was which was great. Um, Ian Rush scored, and then we we beat them two one. First time with Ian Rush scoring that they'd lost a game, and they were a very good team. And I think that really helped us when we went to uh, Anfield in 89 because we knew we could do it. We knew we could beat them again. Yeah. You know, so it's very instrumental in that. And what was it like as a player? I, I, I got the uh, longest period in between international goals. <laughs> I scored at Saudi Arabia in 1988. And then, uh, as you said, the last goal at Wembley is 12 years, three months and 17 days in between international <laughs> goals. It's a record. I don't think anyone's going to beat that one because of the distance. 
you're playing for your country at a young age and you've got a score, yeah. and then you're playing for your country at an old age anyway. <laughs> and have you gone up for corners for 12 years between those points? You're going up for every corner? <laughs> you could have a go at me now, haven't you? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just checking. What were you doing for 12 years? <laughs> well, I was doing a lot of drinking. I didn't go to the 90s. I didn't go to the, you know, I didn't play a lot of games, you know. I, yeah. I, 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 it wasn't until I think Graham Taylor come in and I let him down as well. I did. I got up to some some naughty stuff in the in the in the headquarters there, and I let Graham down. Because you should have over a hundred caps. Do you know what I mean? I, I put it down to my alcoholism, like I touched on earlier about not having the confidence, full of fear about going and meeting up with the England team, and then my Scottish manager who wanted me rested, ready to play for the Arsenal. There's a bit of yeah. club versus country thing going on as well there. So, yeah, and there are loads and loads of fears in it, fear in the early days, Josh, really fear. It stopped me from, from playing a lot of games. And uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that I got it. You know, most players don't get well during their career. You yeah. know, they're usually, yeah. I've gone down my clinic, you know, all the time and they're in their 50s. But thank God they're in my clinic. They've reached out for help. Yeah. You know, and we can we can address the issues, you know. I'm just praying that people kind of do come forward now and then do to, you know, especially men my age, you know. And that's what we're here doing today. You know, we're getting talking yeah. about this stuff now. And Go and see your GP. Go to your doctor. Go and get some help, you know. You'd have never thought in, you know, when you were 25 or whatever, or even younger, that you would have played to 36 and you'd have been winning the double at 36. It's an incredible sign of what, getting that help can do for someone I think I think it's like it's a thank you perfect lesson in how that can help absolutely and I'm here to tell my tale and now that what the pros have done they've swapped it and they're all gambling they're all gambling yeah. addicts you know it's an epidemic yeah. you know because they, they, they can't look after those thoughts and feelings you know they're not talking to people they're not got safe spaces where they can share their stuff you know it's too intense you imagine all the the highlights of their stuff at the moment you imagine carrying all that around if you ain't got a, a good family or support network yeah. you know you imagine suppressing all that stuff it's going to come out somewhere i want to pick up on one thing you said you mentioned letting graham taylor down and we've kind of mainly because of that documentary that was made the, the the impossible job the failed world cup qualifying campaign for 94 what are your thoughts and kind of what went wrong under graham taylor well we're very close you know it's 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 inches at times isn't it it's it's small margins and uh you know it just didn't work out for us in the in the dutch game in effect, and I think it was the home game against Norway that we come unstuck. And if we'd got to the to the World Cup in the USA, things could have been different. You know, I've seen Denmark come off the beach uh, and win the Euros in '92. You know what I mean? They they didn't yeah. qualify, but the team dropped out because of because of a war, and then bang, they're in the competition and they're winning the league. You know, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. So it's very small margins. You know, and when Platty's run through and, and Cooman's pulled him back, you know, I don't think he'd done him any favours, the documentaries. Did you know the documentary was going on when you were playing for England? Yeah, we all closed up, mate. You know, it's Did natural, you? especially the fear in the game at that around that time. It's just, we just all closed up. Because it's, it's a weird thing. As players, were you going, is this a good idea? Listen, I, I really loved Graham. I think he was a yeah. really special human being, you know. He's yeah, he's a really, a really lovely good guy, man. I'm it? not so sure about some of his tactics and 
and and you know, but he, he liked me, and he liked the I like people that like me. <laughs> I like people that <laughs> like the way that I play. And he gave me confidence to go and do my bit. But I did think it was weird that he had done this, and and you know, in hindsight, maybe he would choose not to have done it. But you know, hindsight's yeah. a wonderful thing, and. Uh, I, I just think he was trying to do the best that he could, and uh, I don't know if he did it for financial reasons or he's under pressure from the FA or uh, or what his reasons for doing it were. It, it did backfire. The, the first England manager you had was Bobby Robson, and people talk with such affection about Bobby Robson. You're thrown into that dressing room at 20. It's like this big Shilton, Hoddle, Waddle, Lineker, Robson, mm. like huge England names. What was it like first playing for England with all those names? And what was kind of Bobby Robson like? They really were warm. The players were, hopefully, later on in my career, when I played my country, 96, that I was a very different captain, a different player to the younger professionals that come through. They weren't open. It was it was a period, you've got to take it back, you know, we're talking 40 years ago, Josh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very different playing field. We could, Sometimes it's difficult to judge across decades, you know, yeah. but it, it was an environment where they would welcome me with open arms and come on in, you know. If they, they did when I went to the bar and drunk them under the table, they go, oh, you're a man now, that's it, good. Away you go, come on. <laughs> so... I won't say hostile, but it wasn't a very welcoming environment. You know, right. It was a little bit looking after yourself, a little bit looking after yourself. And for this young man, was it was very difficult. I had, a, a, I had an ally, Don Howe, was probably the greatest English coach that we've ever produced, you know, phenomenal coach. And uh, I had Don, obviously, in my early days at Arsenal, 83, 84 and stuff. So I knew that. Bobby was just a, just a warm, lovely man. He looked like awesome for me, to be honest yeah. with you. He was just... Just a sweetheart, you know, he's like a man manager, you know. He just, and, and he was funny and he forgot names and he called Lufa Blissett Bluefar and, you know, <laughs> he, 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 you know he, I went up there, I went, no, I made my debut in 1987. We're in Madrid, the Butchugrano, the Spanish team. And the night before the game, February the 7th, it snows and I'm thinking, oh, no, I ain't got my chance. Anyway, I'm called up to Bobby's suite up in the top of the hotel. And I walk in. He went, come in, Neil. Sit down. <laughs> I didn't go with it. He said, oh, I just shut up. I didn't know what he was going to. And he went, oh, we've got an injury. Dave Watson's out. Mark Wright's out. I'm going to give you a chance tomorrow. I ain't got a problem. You've got Viv, your mate from Arsenal. You've got Kenny Sampson. You know, I'm confident. I'm going to give you a game, Neil. Get on with it. And I, and I kind of didn't want to tell him that my name weren't Neil. Anyway, <laughs> fast forward that to Saudi Arabia. What did he, do you think he knew? He, he had got the right guy, though. He wasn't trying to pick Neil Webb, right? By all accounts, there was an apprentice at Ipswich when he was there called Neil Adams. Ah, and, he, right. and he thought that, right. I don't know, he just got the names mixed yeah, up. Yeah. I'm sure he knew it was me. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. so in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> Josh, in Saudi Arabia, uh, we drew one all. I scored, but... We went into an after debrief and he kind of blamed me and he said that for the, the goal against, that weren't good enough. He started to dig me out. It's like a bit unusual for Bobby, you know what I yeah. mean? And it's like, maybe the frustration, I don't know what it was, but he was digging me out. And I went, well, as I'm Neil, I'm actually, you know, Tony's had a very good game, but Neil was shocking <laughs> today. You're completely right, Bobby. <laughs> 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 it must have been so different playing under him to George Graham, right? That must have been such a culture shock. 
I was comfortable with George, you know, I knew my stuff, you know, you, you're going away with Bobby. I was the young boy, you know, I wasn't full of confidence in that environment. So it was very difficult, to be honest with you, Josh. It wasn't until later on in my England career that I was comfortable going to international duty. And I think Arsene Wenger, I said to him about management and about coaches and stuff. And he said, we all got... We've all got our strengths and weaknesses, I suppose. We're talking technically now. And we're obviously going to use the strengths. And Bobby's strength was to sit down with you and be nice to you and encourage you. Man, a bit like Harry Redknapp, you know, Harry? Yeah. You know, it's like one of the boys. It's like, you know, he'd get the best out of you. You know, go on, son. You've got to have talent. George was more coach, more organisation, do it like this, you know. So, so was Terry. You know, Terry, they were more technical coaches. You know, and, and yeah. it was with George, my way of the highway type of stuff as well. You know, I was his mouthpiece and I wasn't going to go against him. So, uh, and we were getting success. So the more success was getting, it must be right. Yeah. And so when Terry got the job, you must have been, that was an exciting appointment for you, right? Because obviously, as you say, he's from a similar area. George and him are quite close. He's got this great reputation. And then it comes to Euro 96, which just felt obviously looking back now it feels like this great summer but building up to it the team was under a barrage of abuse from the press what was that what did that feel like to be in that camp leading up to it oh it's the most pivotal year of my life 96 you know mm. I dangled my leg in training in the february john artson took my cartilage out so i couldn't get football because i was all right when i was playing football mm. but off the pitch i wasn't all right i'm kind of trying to get fit again but all the time it was the first time in my life josh that i was i was drinking after 11 and a half years of drinking i actually didn't want to drink anymore yeah. i didn't want to do it. i could see what it was doing the consequences were adding up mm. but i was still getting drunk frightened the life out of me it did across the line i'd used football to abstain from it so I threw myself into football threw myself into the to the Hong Kong uh, lead up dentist chair you know that night I locked myself in the hotel room did you the, the dentist chair night because I've got this mask you wouldn't have known it at the time Josh yeah. I had the mask put on so you're like, you're right Skip how are you doing Skip yeah yeah I'm great I'm great yeah good, good. we're going to win we're going to win we're gonna... you know but inside I was a complete and utter mess because I know that across the line so when they're saying to me where are we going tonight Skip where are we going we're going to we're going to you know, I went, uh, oh, when we win it, I'm going to get absolutely smashed. But I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed tonight, guys. Good luck, you know, enjoy yourself. Because I knew if I'd gone out with them, there was no tournament for me. You know, yeah. I, I would have been oh, gone. Wow. I had no defence. I had no defence. So I locked myself in the room. I shot, we call it in the trade, white-knuckled. I white-knuckled it all night and started sweating and... Got, I was knocking all the boys up in the morning. They were like, go away, skip, go. Because <laughs> I wanted to go training. Come on, train, yeah. train, train, train. Because I was on the pitch. Come on, let's go training. So I, I got on, <laughs> we got training, made it, got on the pitch, played the games, not drinking, play, 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 play. Soon as Gareth missed that penalty, I went on an almighty six-week bender getting to the end. Uh, of my drinking on August the 16th, 1996, mate. And uh, I was in a place and I started to cry. And I started to cry. Oh, it feels me with emotion now. Whew. So was that, that, literally, that was literally the kind of the after effects of Euro 96. It was part of it, this kind of brilliant team and coming so close to kind of national glory and it just going wrong at the end. You know, was that the moment that sparked this drinking binge then, do you think? Or would it have happened anyway? I'd done 
everything that I'd done in that six weeks I'd done previously. You know, it just it was mm. just my end. Listen, it didn't help. If we'd won it, I'd still probably gone and got smashed anyway yeah. and got to my bottom. Mm. <laughs> but, but I don't think it, you know, Gareth always says, I'm sorry, to He keeps saying, I'm sorry, you know. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I said, no, it's all right, mate, it's all right. And uh, I, I love it. I, I, to him. I spoke to him after we beat the Germans in the summer and, you know, he was such a beautiful human being, that man. And yeah. and, and I kind of said to him, oh, you know, I'm so pleased that it's kind of, you know, kind of gone for you and, and uh, you know, and, and and he said, you know what he said? It was lovely. He said, yeah, he said, I'm so pleased for my parents. He said, the oh, kind man. Of, it's been with them for 25 years as well. Not only has like families and friends, you know, so I thought that was really lovely. It really felt like it, when he was interviewed after that game, it was so clear that even though I don't think other people, particularly after 2018, when we'd got to the semi-finals, he'd done such an amazing job. I don't think other people were still carrying that around as an association for Southgate, but it was obviously still so heavily in his head. Yeah, he talked about in that in that interview. He talked about um, after they beat the Germans, looking up and seeing David Seaman on the big screen oh, yeah. and saying, just feeling like he was so happy that David Seaman was there because he felt so sorry for what he'd done at Euro '96. I, I could, I think many of us would have thought he would have forgotten about that. He is so emotionally well, you know. He, I didn't have no defence, you know. I've gone out and got smashed out of my head. You know, afterwards, the six years that I played clean and sober, I, we lost the U, you know, UEFA Cup on penalties. It was traumatic, but it felt terrible. But I didn't go out and get smashed. You know, so Gareth is normal <laughs> in effect, and he's been holding this stuff not in because he's got outlets. He's got a great family. He's got friends around yeah. him. He talks to people. You know, he's got all this stuff and out. Yeah, he still, it still hurts, but it's lovely. That he can think about his family that's also supported him emotionally and mentally for all the years. Hopefully, I've supported him down the years. Hopefully, a lot of people have supported him down yeah. the years, and he's he's completely natural. You know, for him to grow through that, you know, if anyone missed it, I'm glad it was him. Do you know where you would have been in the um, in the order of taking Tony? Well, you, you're on the pitch at that point, right? Well, that's another thing, you know. I, mean, I looked at Terry. Terry looked at me. We had the five penalty takers, and mm. then we didn't have any others. But Gareth came over and he grabbed the ball and said, "No, I want to take it." And me and Terry went. He looked so confident. We went get on with it. I think it was yeah. me. I think it was going to be me, to be honest with you. If Darren oh. Gareth had had him a step forward, I was the next penalty taker. So. Thank God. Had you ever taken wow. a penalty professionally? Two out of two, mate. Me, two out of two. Two out of two. I remember there was a penalty shootout. You played West. I'm a West Ham fan. You play, we played you in the FA Cup quarterfinal and you took a penalty that was one of the worst penalties I've ever seen, but it went in. <laughs> <laughs> and I've still got 90, I think it was the 98 quarterfinal. I've still got a grudge about that penalty. We went on to win the cup that year, yeah. We went on- and you went on to win it. Yeah, quarterfinal of the cup. And also, it wasn't. I don't think it hit the back of the net, to be honest with you. The keeper ran the other way. <laughs> it went right down the middle, about an inch off the floor, at about five miles an hour. It just crossed the line, but it didn't hit the back of the net. It just rolled. And the goalkeeper was out. But then I thought I did the same in the Euro uh, Cup Winners' Cup, European Cup Winners' Cup against uh, Sampdoria. 
semi-final. And I thought that was similar. That was rubbish as well. That was, that was rubbish as well. But I, I went back and have a look at it. It's a great pen. It's a great pen. I mean, you sent the goalkeeper for his fish and chips. So you've, something was going on. There was some ability there. I always scored against the Amers. I always scored Oh, dear. You're, you're a Romford boy. You're a traitor. I still can't believe yeah, it. No, I, uh, I stood in the North Bank. I remember drinking down the Cross Keys back in the day and someone from the ICF come up to him and went, I'd have played my debut for the Arsenal and he tapped me on the side and said, Tone, I love you, but you can't drink in here anymore. <laughs> 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 he said, "Stop coming!" Oh dear. <laughs> um, I want to say you mentioned in this interview like the pride you felt uh, of playing for your country, and nowhere is that more obvious than in my favourite Tony Adams moment from Euro '96, the national anthem before the Germany game. You, the, the camera pans down, and you've got your chest out, your yeah. chin up, and you're bo- you're booming out the national anthem. Like, what did what did you feel like in that in that moment? I think it's really good technique for getting rid of the uh, fear, and, and I think it's a really yeah. good te- God save you. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're that stupid and you're that kind of getting it out. <laughs> I think the nerves drop away. You know, you see these coaches, they shake themselves before games. I used to do it with the boys, yeah. to throw the ball at me. Like, ooh, ooh, like this. I've got, it kind of gets you out of it, you know what I mean? It's like actually good release for the emotions. Yeah. It's a really good release for the emotions. <laughs> and it frees you up to go and do the footy, you know, is what I was there to do, yeah. to be honest with you. So I did it selfishly. A lot of things I do selfishly. To <laughs> if I was to talk about Tony Adams' Euro 96... Like, obviously, it, it's an incredible thing. You get to the semi-finals. You could have, like, the, the Scotland game, you gave away a penalty against Switzerland, you gave away a penalty against Scotland. One of the iconic moments for God, me is... You guys happy, aren't you, today? <laughs> <laughs> There's that moment after the, the, second, the second penalty, which Seaman saves, and you're, like, the first person to go over to him, and it's kind of this beautiful moment where you go over to him. Do you remember that moment, like, of that penalty and going over to David Seaman? I, I kept this very quiet when I was England captain, but I've got a Scottish grandfather comes from Edinburgh, and, uh, <laughs> and that was that was one for him. And I've got a great grandmother who's German, so the England captain's got German and Scottish roots, mate. I've oh, kept that wow. very very quiet. <laughs> we won't mention that, but yeah, David David saved me bacon a little bit, and I went across and gave him a big kiss. How much do you thank Yuri Geller for that save, Tony? <laughs> yeah, Yuri Geller moving the ball. Where was he on the, was he on the German side? <laughs> <laughs> and then France 98, a couple of years later. I, I, we've talked to someone from that team who, who was in 96 and 98 and felt like the 98 team was better. I can't remember who said that to us. How, did you, how do you think the 98 team compares to the team of 96? Yeah, it was a fantastic team, and 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 I can see why someone said that, that potentially the, the individuals was great. I thought we lost a little bit of a, um, uh, weirdly a rotation. I was talking about earlier from Terry into Glenn. Glenn became he played his wing backs; they were like full backs. They came a bit more defensive. Mm. We did. Well, Terry, the, the wide guys were Darren Anton and Steve McManaman, and and they were much more offensive. And he played full backs alongside yeah. me. Um, Terry did, but. Glenn played central defenders alongside me, you know, Gareth and... Uh, uh, and so we, I think we was a little bit more defensively. Uh, I think we lost a little bit. 
Um, I loved it. I've spoken at length with this. It's my clean and sober and I was reading. I was full of the joys of recovery, book after book after book, self-help books, lovely but I just never read a book in my life and all of a sudden I've done thousands of thousands I was every day reading this helping Bex you know and the Bex yeah. stuff with Glenn Oddle and I just felt like I was supportive of all my all my teammates maybe the one regret he's, he's, he's not leading I felt that was weird wasn't it he took the captaincy away from you and gave it to yeah. Alan Shearer yeah I think it, I could have done maybe a little bit more uh, if I was captain listen I did what I needed to do. And if you've ever seen the Argentinian game, I think it's um, one of my best games ever, ever, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. That and the mm-hmm. semi-final where I played Muller man-on-man in the in the Euros 1996. I think, you know, certainly internationally, a couple of extraordinary games that I did. I remember Ron Atkinson doing the commentary and he said, that's either... Uh, a penalty or tackle of the century. <laughs> I'm, 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 going for, I'm going for tackle of the century. <laughs> Is it right he gave the captaincy to Alan Shearer because he thought he'd get more penalties as captain? That was his justification. I disagreed with him, but um, I, I swallowed it and did the best that I could, you know. And, and I take yeah. it back as uh, David Platt was really upset when Terry Venables took it off of him. So, you know, I was yeah. I had enough about me to not let me affect me. I didn't resent the fact. I got on with my job, tried to do I acted like a captain anyway, you know, as soon as Bex got sent off and he's crying in the uh crying in the dressing room after the game, I, I kinda of go in the dressing room, there was no one else putting an arm around him and, you know, everyone was doing their mm. own stuff and in their own world and I just put my arm around him and I said, David, you're a you know, you're a young man. You're going to get lots and lots of uh, opportunities to to do this. And I had a bad experience in '88, and you know, went back and won the league in '89. Go back for United. Do the best you can. I wish I didn't say that because they went on and done the treble. <laughs> um, but then I also said, to "David, by the way, that was my last chance. By the way, and you." <laughs> you know, is this guy serious? <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. I loved his response afterwards. And this is, was was really human. And I, I love Bex for it. I love David for it. He went out and in the team bucks, all our parents was there and all our families and friends. And he went over to Ted and Sandra, his mum and dad, and he was just a wonderful moment of tears and sadness oh. and comfort and it was just so normal to cry and, and yeah. you know if someone that was no. emotionally well and and then talking to a guy that never cried for 29 years you know I, was, I cry every time I, I cried at Legally Blonde the other day that's how desperate <laughs> I am <you> know? <laughs> Paddington, Paddington too. I was crying at Paddington too, and it's not even a real bear. No, but do you know what, Tony? <laughs> Paddington Two is is one of the great movies. I think that's totally acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about a man in that dressing room who I never thought showed much emotion. The man who missed the penalty to send us out of the World Cup, David Batty. How did his emotion in the dressing room after contrast to David Beckham? What was he like? He, he was just so he struck it off. For, he just kind of was a little bit. Inhuman about it all, really. You know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, we all react differently and stuff. It, you know, and and 
I didn't feel... We can only look after our own emotions, I suppose, and react, mm. uh, look after our own side of the street, as it were. And I had a lot of tools. And I spoke to a lot of people after we went out. And I, it didn't, I didn't have to go on a six-week bender, you know what I mean? You know, I... I, I <laughs> I, I dealt with it, you know, healthily, and uh, we, we just come out and you get on with my life and my job, and you know, it, it didn't make or break me, is what I'm saying. But uh, David was a different character, and I, I, it was very strange. how he's just like, you know, you know, kind of struck it off. But I don't judge oh, well. him for that. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't, we're all different. Yeah, yeah. You end your international career. Is this right in the game where Kevin Key last game England v Germany Wembley? where Kevin Keegan resigns. That is a strange experience to end your international career with, right? Oh, uh, I was ready. I, I'd, only, I'd only played, a, a, I think it was about 20 games for Arsenal that year because of the injuries was adding up. And there was people coming through and I wasn't prepared to get in their way. You know, you had Rio coming through, Sol coming through. And I thought to myself, you know... I wanted to play for Arsenal a couple of more years, you know, and I want to, mm. you know, see how long I can go on for. And, and definitely playing international football at 34, I thought, you know, this is going to have an impact on, on my future Arsenal career. So I did, uh, you know, I did talk to KK in, in, in the dressing room afterwards, uh, but it, you know, he's obviously full of his own stuff. And uh, I tried to talk him out, me and David Davis. You know, we were trying to talk him out of his decision, but he was kind of, oh, no, I, I can't do it, I can't do it. Um, but there was a part of me I wanted to be captain again, so that was the, the ego bit in me, um, that I wanted to retire on my terms. I didn't want to be forced into it. or I've never been on the bench, Josh, and I'm not that type of character, mm. I'm afraid. I've yeah. been always all or nothing. I've got to be in the lining loop, and I wasn't prepared to be a... Uh, a backup service, you know. I wasn't prepared to do that, you know. I, was, I wanted to extend my Arsenal career. All or nothing, I'm out there, I'm the captain, I'm going to throw everything at it. Or move over and let someone else have a go. I'd played for my country yeah. for 14 years, you know. I'd done everything that I wanted, 13 years. OK, I've been to a World Cup, three European Championships. Unfortunately, there was no way I was going to go to 2002. I only played 13 games for Arsenal that year, you know, so it was adding up. So I think it was a a wise decision. It got me, I think, another double for the Arsenal. Maybe it it might have impeded if I kept going with England. Um, So that was right timing, right timing for me. And I I like to be the master of my own path, I suppose. You know, now I've got, (laughs) now I can... And don't, things don't happen to me, you know. I can kind of control a little bit, being a bit of a control freak. So that was that was strange, KK. You know, I, I love him to bits. I think he was a good man motivator again. Well, how did it how did it play out in the dressing room? I just think he he, he thought he was out of the depth. I don't think he got the support around him as well. You know, the backroom staff, a bit like Glenn, really. You know, with John Gorman. I love John as well. You know, but I think you know Terry Terry Venables. He had Don Howe with him. He had Brian Robson with him. So we had a good backup system like Gareth's got yeah. Stevie Holland at the moment you know it's a good you can't do it on your own you can't do it on your own you know that yeah. job so yeah. you need support you need support and that's maybe the lesson and you can't do this on your own you know you, the opposite for addiction for me is connection this is what we made a connection today but you yeah. and I you know we've made a connection mm. isolation this illness loves me when I'm on my own. You know, it tells me stuff I don't want to hear. 
So I need to get yeah. into the real world, open my mouth and talk to you. Reach out for help, guys. Yeah, massively. Let's let's wrap this up. This episode is brought by, brought to you by NHS Mental Health Services, and I mean, Tony, your story is a truly inspirational one. A guy who turned his life around, who reached out for help, and transformed his life. And my God, have you got the statue to to show for it? So yeah, as a wrap up, Tony, if someone's listening to this, they're struggling with their mental health. Tell them what to do. Well, go and see your doctor. Go and see the NHS. They've got the self referral uh, I apt. Um, go there. Get it up. You know, and don't think it's silly. You know, sometimes you go, oh, I'm all right, I'm all right. I do it myself, you know what I mean? I had a heart thing and I'm thinking, oh, I don't want it. My wife said to me, what are you like? Just go and see your doctor. Go and have a checkup. You know, two minutes and see, you're all right. You know, just have a checkup. And I've got, and I do psychotherapy as well. So, you know, however trivial you think it is, however trivial you think it is, go and have a, go and have a conversation with someone. Wonderful. We always ask one final question, Tony. Can I just give two factors also before that? You're the only England player to appear across three decades and you're the only person who has won a English league across three decades. That is an incredible career. Yeah. That'll never get beaten. Most of, it, most of it a go, but you've got to be a, a club at an early age. You've got to be captain of an early age. And the club's got to be successful at an early age. And then you've got to yeah. play over three decades. You know, it's yeah. just not yeah. going to happen. You know, the, the Man Cities, the Liverpools, they're buying people. Average age of a central defender is 27 in the Premier League. They're not yeah. going to have an 18-year-old captain. <laughs> you've done it. Done, yeah. I've, got, I've got one more fact. Do you know this? You know the German goal in the semi-final at Euro 96 was offside? Do you know that? Watch it back. It's offside in the build-up no no it's Pierce's fault Pierce kept them all onside didn't he oh we see there's an angle there's an angle doing the rounds I'm full of blame I'm full of blame <laughs> listen, listen it's a hands in the quarterfinal Spain if you remember was yeah. onside yeah. I, I shouted yeah. that the linesman absolutely shit himself he went oh you're offside that's it but that was onside so it kind of balanced out. Well, yeah, our last question we ask everyone is, I'll tweak it because you're a former Arsenal player. If you could go back to the 1st of January, 1989, we usually ask 1990, but if we're going to take you back to 1989, give you a button and transport you now and you can do it all again. If I gave you that option, would you take it? I'm a bit tired thinking about all that stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, guys. Uh, I, I had me day. I'm all right now, thanks. I'm having, I'm living a dream. I'm playing so much golf. I've got a peaceful head. I can do what I want. I, I love it. I love. Twenty years I haven't played football, and I've been all right. There's not many things footballers can say that. I've absolutely enjoyed a lot of this stuff. Perfect answer. Thank you so much to Tony. I, we absolutely loved that. It was an incredible interview and um, really inspiring guy, didn't you think, Chris? Yeah, just what a man. Just like, I feel better for having listened to that. If you'd like to find out more about the Sporting Chance charity, you can go to sportingchanceclinic.com. And remember, the NHS is here to help. Feelings of anxiety and depression can affect us all. If you need help with your mental health, you can refer yourself or your GP can refer you. Go to nhs.uk forward slash help that's it for this week thank you to tony thank you to the nhs we'll be back next week until then robbie slater see you later
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 